Welcome to the Hiring Chronicles. Whether you're watching or listening, we're thrilled you're here with Amy and myself. We're an independent podcast, no ties to smart recruiters or anyone else. So there's no corporate jargon, just real talk. And despite the rumours, we're not perfect. So please ignore our good looks and charm and take our advice at your own risk. And let's dive in. Well, welcome back to the Hiring Chronicles. As a reminder, Amy, where can people find us? They can find us on all social media channels, YouTube, LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Instagram and TikTok, but we kind of, we just need to build that up a little bit. But we're there, we're there. I'm just going to throw it out there that TikTok, I'm, I'm having a bit of a mare, if I'm honest. I love it when a Gen Z has to think about, that's about social media channels. Yeah. Like, Why? What's wrong with TikTok or is it the user of TikTok? I think if I say what's wrong with TikTok, then TikTok might come for me. So let's move on from that. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we're, we're back and as part of our new strategy, we're doing a part one and a part two, this time with a young gentleman called Jeremy, and we're going to learn about his story, currently running a business called Udder, which we're going to learn about in part two, but I want to delve into Jeremy's work. He's done some pretty amazing stuff in both Romania and Ukraine that yeah. I'm interested to hear about, maybe some scary stories in there I don't know. Please don't make us cry, though. I, I, listen, <laughs> you can cry as much as you like. I can take you one way or the other with those with those stories. On that note, welcome to the show, Jeremy. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And, and first and foremost, um, number forty. If anyone's ever in Barnes and near Barnes Bridge, number forty is excellent. Thank you for that recommendation for it lunch. Is our little spot, isn't it? The number forty cafe, lovely, lovely eggs yeah. Benedict. Yeah. Amazing hot chocolate. And and for me, it was the uh, pesto chicken club sandwich with the the grilled Mediterranean vegetables, superb, um, and and the vegan the exotic vegan smoothie. I'm not <laughs> vegan, clearly, because the first bit had chicken. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of it. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> but, but it was absolutely superb. I'm really really good recommendation. So thank you guys. And we we normally complain about being in the middle of nowhere in Barnsbridge, don't we? But yeah, we do. Number forty. We, we're not sponsored by them yet, no. but yeah, we'll fair play. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were settled and you had a nice little sandwich. Yeah, yeah indeed, indeed. <laughs> and, and so, Jeremy, I, we do the thing where we look at you from a social media profile background and we look at oh dear. what's Jeremy listed and what's he done. And I, I noticed that, and somebody people might not know this about me, but I was born in Bournemouth. I'm right. class myself as a dirty mank now, but... I noticed you went to Bournemouth University. You studied law. Yep. You then moved on into Marks and Spencer's in recruitment. You did some stuff in Romania with charity Hold work, up. and it's like you go from where, law to recruitment. Where do we? Where? Do, what happened, Jeremy? Tell us your story. What happened? Pre pre Marks and Spencer's nineteen ninety five. Let's pre, let's go wow. pre that. Let's go dig deep in the memory there. Um, yeah, the, the, I think. Back, back then, things were very different as to what they are now. I was having a conversation around this earlier today. Um, the whole career aspect, the whole piece around your career was much more... It, there were less places you could go with a career. Um, I think I came out of school, I had conversations with my stepfather and, and things, you know, what what could I do? And we, you know, I, I think I almost centred on law as a career, if you want to do law as a career, the best advice I can give you is do not do a law degree. It is the quickest way to put you off doing law as a career. But don't you, you need a law degree? <laughs> <laughs> well, surprisingly, no. Unless you're Kim Kardashian, actually. Well, eh? yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Then you just go into reality TV and yeah, that's and another, now she's that's a another day. Is, Is she? she? Don't come at me from dissing <laughs> the Kardashians. Let me tell you both I can't, of you. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm in a house with two. Uh, my daughters are 22 and 19, um, and at least one of them is a massive Kardashian Good. fan. So I'm, she sounds I'm so used, sorry to, for you. used to her throwing it back at me. She and, sounds and like a lovely lady. She is. She is. Funnily enough, going, going into law, but not studying law at, at university, learning from her father for a change. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you do have to, you don't have to do a law degree. You, there are conversions you do, um, and if you go off and do something that's quite academic, so history, English. I mean, she's doing um, history and inter- international development. So something like that. They the law firms actually now are looking at you, going, "You've done something different," and then you convert on the law degree on the law course, and you basically focus on the bits of law that you want to do. So but you qualified and passed. No, no, no. no you I, didn't. I didn't. I did a, a law degree and I, I focused on a business law degree. And, and actually the step into M&S, which was, was actually, um, like they called it personnel back then, um, was actually on the back of um, doing a, a module on my law degree, business law degree, which was the law and practice of employment relations. So basically personnel. Um, but a great, great lecturer, Jim Cork, who was the uh, then the chair of the the Bournemouth and Paul um, Tribunal. Um, and, and yeah, just it just took us to places with that module that I was like, actually, this looks quite good. Little did I know, but there we go. <laughs> but is, that, is that where you're, you, you mentioned your stepfather and you having the discussions with him. Yeah. Like, was it those conversations that molded you into going into law then? Like, or where, where did it stem from? Like, what's deeper rooted? Because... It's a very specific subject yeah, to go into. Yeah, I did into. study at A-level. So right. I, I, a, I had a year out, studied at A-level. There was a potential to be sponsored by a company that I was working for, the, the Prudential. Um, I was working in their law department during a couple of years out before I decided to go to uni. There was a potential for them to sponsor me through a like a, a, a they release, essentially, degree. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, they... they the role got made redundant. There was a, all sorts of, of, of things going on with the financial services sector. And, yeah, it didn't happen. So I kind of stepped back from it all and went, well, I've got to do this by myself then. Um, Bournemouth accepted me because um, they're nice. <laughs> 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 and as you'll know, it's it's uh, I mean, it's a great place. I, I was there as a kid with my grandparents being just up the road. And um, it was lovely going back to places that I'd and built sandcastles, essentially. To be... <laughs> you don't talk about it that fondly. <laughs> First rule about Bournemouth, don't talk about Bournemouth. No, it's not that I'm not fond of it. It's, it's an absolutely stunning town. Yeah. But when I was there, you... You went to die in Bournemouth. <laughs> it was just bo- bowling greens and nursing homes was when I was there. Yeah. Now it's and way there more were, there vibrant. Were language schools as well. Yeah, was, language schools and yeah, going really yeah, for, yeah. for a number of years. But I think the uni, the it's uni has now. grown really, yeah. really a lot, and you know, there's, there's, it's I think three times the size yeah. of what it was when I was down there. So I think it's, it's, it's less where you go to die; it's where you go to see your grandparents <laughs> die. Maybe that's just my opinion, by the way. So let, let's just let's just sort let's of move away from Bournemouth. Let's move away from Bournemouth. Good idea. Tell us about the charity work you've done because yeah. I, I know uh, from getting to know you a little bit more recently that you've been going to do driving to Ukraine with supplies, but you've previously done that in yeah. Romania. Talk us through that. Yeah, so I mean that was it was a bit of an epiphany, epiphany moment actually that led to me making the decision definitely not to go to into law. Um I'd become involved with um Romania or a guy who 
gone out to Romania previous year. It was not as two, this is two or three years after the revolution. Ceausescu had been deposed, and and there was a lot of stuff needed doing out there. Um, the country needed help, and and that's not that's not being big headed. It's not saying we we did it. There was a lot they needed needed a lift up with, so that they could enable themselves to get get back in the, on, on on the right track, and. Um, we set up a, a charity in the, or, or it wasn't even a charity at that point. It was a, a, a society, the Bournemouth, uh, uh, Bournemouth Romanian Charity Appeal, or something. It was like that, and we did some some projects, and and we took um, in the end we took, um, I think it was seventeen nurses from the, the what was then called the Nursing Two Thousand degree, which was quite new around that time, and uh, they went out and they were essentially teaching the local medical staff how to do things like give injections without breaking a needle so very you know some of the basics and and uh, also we we you know we had a um we, we took a, a, a disused um classroom from the uk that was gonna literally be burnt as firewood got it on the back of a tnc lorry and they deposited it in sushava in the northeast of romania for us and we went out and rebuilt it and it's, wow. it was used in, in in the grounds of what i'm going to use the term mental institute because that's what they were like, you know. The they were the, literally the, the pictures you see of of uh, mental institutes in films of people being handcuffed to beds and wandering around in their pajamas and literally you know, literally shit on the walls. Um, that was what this place was like. So actually, to, for them having this education centre in their grounds was like wow. And, and that literally, it was going to be used as firewood. So yeah, but you know, kudos to TNT as well for sticking it on the back of one of their lorries and taking it out there. But what, what happened was in the, in the midst of all of that, From to go back to your, your question, David, is I, I was sat there not knowing whether I still wanted to do the degree. Um, I was supposed to be going back to the UK to a, a one-year placement with a law firm in Enfield, where I'm from originally, and actually realising that I, I wanted to do the degree and finish it, but I didn't want to go into law. And it was it was then I came, so I came back and I sat with my, my tutor who set me up with this placement and said I'm not going to do it. And he said, Well, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to actually set up a charity and run the charity for a year within Bournemouth Uni, um, where we provide re- further further funding for relief and trips for students to go on. Um, and he kind of went, Okay, how does that work? So we we we. We did it on the hoof, really. You know, we found a little office in the middle of Bournemouth University. They said, yeah, have it. We set that up as our epicentre. We arranged a whole number of events. We had a we had a fashion show. I, I arranged a fashion show. <laughs> look, Were you look in at it? me. <laughs> look at me. I arranged a fashion show. I, we need to see the footage. <laughs> yeah, pictures <laughs> or not true. <laughs> it was, it was, we raised £10,000 on that day. You know, it was, it was, it was that bigger thing then it was like ukraine was this time last year really um and like unfortunately what's going on in gaza and places like that at the moment that's that's now taking center stage from from ukraine um and that's what happened with romania so we really wanted to keep the um keep it front and center for at least some people and it was great because i think for five years after that the university funded uh two placements for students from pr and marketing and then business operations or something to do to run the charity for for their their placement year, so it, it had a had a bit of a legacy. Where, did, where um, does your passion come from to do something like that? Anything in particular that drives you, motivates you? I don't. I I, I don't know. Um, I I don't like. Um, I don't like seeing people being abused by people in power. 
uh, it, it probably comes to something quite quite that simple, you know, and, and people you know, giving giving someone the opportunity to um, overcome that or not really explain that very well. I, I couldn't. It's just something innate that it's just in you. Yeah, it just is, and and it's in it's in the kids. You know, they're the same. They 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 want to do things like this and. And, you know, and was it in your family growing up? Were they doing anything in particular, or are no. you like the first of your generation? <laughs> I, th- kind of thing? I think it's. I think it's sometimes it's the opportunity that when when it it's, it's probably in a lot of people they just don't have the opportunity presented to them to do something about it. For a lot of people, um, supporting people who are less fortunate themselves is about ten quid in in a in a pot somewhere or donations to children in need or yeah. it's that sort of thing because that's all they've got the opportunity to do and, and don't get me wrong that is absolutely fine but having the opportunity at Bournemouth and again just because last year we we got to a point where we we built enough of a business and we had people in the business who were very good that that opportunity to drive the minibus and and it, you know, we, we, we didn't go into Ukraine just to make that clear it just was too dangerous but to get to Poland to pick up refugees to bring back um yeah it was just an opportunity that presented itself and, and that, being, sorry, go is on. it quite <laughs> emotional oh hugely hugely um i mean there's the stories around children going missing in romania um and literally and you you never know how how much these have been embellished but there was a child who we were told in we, and we went into a um a, a, it was like a a care home for for kids and literally there were four or five kids to a cot and you would you know you, as soon as you put your arms near them they were like clinging to you literally because they hadn't had that level of human interaction um they'd be soiled and and everything you know but and there was one particular child who who clearly had um i, I don't know I, who, who had brain injuries and, and things like this and it it was we were told that basically the Trochescu government or military had taken him away from his mum and thrown him in a river and he had survived it and had been brought to the nur- the nursery the care home whatever it was and there was some link uh, so there was something there as well around his mum had seen the pictures of him and had actually like three years later been reunited with him which happened while we were out there that sort of thing it just it just made you just sit here and you go wow and we're complaining because, you know, the weather's bad or you know, it just puts things in perspective. And I get, and I guess to, to your point last year was um, I, I play football with a, a local businessman from Bath, just outside Bath where we, where we live. And he'd seen what was going on out there and he wanted to do something about it. And he'd literally gone out and bought a minibus and him and his wife had pretty much taken six months off the business and were just driving to and from, to and from Poland, bringing back refugees, however many were available at that point in time to fit in the minibus. Um, and I was talking to him one day and I said, look, I'm quite interested in run, run, doing one of the trips with you or, you know, and um, we set we set a date for it and we, you know, I, I was originally doing it with my brother. And brother realised that he was supposed to be doing a, a triathlon two days after we got back and it was like, well, what if there's a delay or all of this? So, I was sat there with um, with Alan, my business partner. Um, at uh, we were at a client event up in Man- just up in Manchester, actually, with uh, with the company, and we sat there um, just as my brother rang me and said, I-, "I can't do this." And Alan looked at me, went, "Well, can I do it?" 
So we then, that's how he got involved. And we then went, okay, well, let's, let's do some fundraising around it. And we, we had some you know, amazing fundraising efforts from clients, from partners, from, from individuals who just went, yeah, I want to help you. Um, and we raised, we raised a lot of money and, and we did, we did the trip. And again, there were, there were emotions in there that, you know, you just, some of the stories, you know, there was a, a, a lady there who was, I guess, 31, 32. She had a little six-year-old girl. And on the Friday night, this was on the, we picked them up on the Wednesday, Tuesday morning. On the Friday night, she'd been in her apartment block and had been a knock on the door and Russian soldiers had basically come in and said, you two out, we need this place for barracks. And kicked them out on the street. A six-year-old girl. So... This is, uh, you know, the, the the need is less because there's less of these stories, but it doesn't mean they're not still going on. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, sorry, I did say to you, I, I no, try not to make you <laughs> no, cry, no, but no apologies. No apologies. It's just, it's just incredible that there's people out there like you that go give, and, give a shit. Go, yeah, that give but a I, shit. To my point, though, I think there's a lot more people who do give a shit. I, I genuinely believe there's, there's good in a lot more people, but they, they just don't have that opportunity. So all I'd say is if you do get an opportunity to do something humanitarian like that, you know, from your own, your own personal perspective, it, it was amazing for our mental health, for example, you know, to, to be, be involved in something like that. It actually lifts you, even though at the time you're thinking, oh my God, what are these, you know, what have these people been through? And, you know, how do we, how do we actually even communicate with, with what was 15 in our minibus, 15 people who don't speak English? Well, there was one who did, fortunately, but, you know, how, how, and how do you talk to people who are, you know, they've left their, their husbands, their, their, their brothers, their sons, their grandpa- grandparents in, on, some, on some occasions back fighting a war so that they can be safe. And how how do you motivate them? How do you how do you lift them when you can't even talk their language? So I, I think there's such an opportunity for organisations, especially in richer countries, yeah. where we reward tenure in a lot of businesses. So I worked at a company where I think it was either five or seven years. If you worked there, you got something crazy like a twelve week mm. holiday, and you were fully paid. Yeah. But I think. Most people listening to to your point around, you know, if they had the time, they had the ability, they would make a difference. If you said, right, rather than that, every year you have a two to three week window, you're fully paid. You choose the humanitarian relief that you give. But in that three week window, we're going to put a team together and that's what you're going to go and do. People would jump at it. If, If I had a business and I ran a business, I had the money. I would love to do something like that. Do you know what I also think? If you, when we all talk about values and benefits and all these things, if that was something that was like part of your package, yeah, I think it would just appeal to so many different um, people. Uh, honestly, rather uh, than just oh, you get yeah, an extra week get, holiday, or, or you, you, you get a nice pool table in our office or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think particularly the, the next generation. So generation said, I, I hate classifications like this but it's a marketing classification so let's use it gen z and gen alpha who are the i think i'm getting this right are the the current generation pushing into the 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 um the workforce so the last 10 years or so and then generation alpha which is the next group their interests their values and things like that it's really what drives them in their careers and so yeah like you say 
to be able to go to to have a company that went once, one week a year, two weeks a year, whatever it is, mm. you could do something that really fulfills your values and and you know they'd be snapping your hand off. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's I, massive. I, I think it goes wider. I mean, I'm a millennial, uh, but I know that the demographic and the age demographic that I'm in, I think they they care about it as well, and you know that I would be so much more driven to work for an organization that had that as opposed to superficially ticking a box that hey we plant a tree or you know because behind the scenes it's it's different it's like how much profit are we making how how much revenue yeah there's always an agenda yeah whereas if you're working for a business that's profitable that doesn't care about how much turnover they're making but actually when they talk about the work that they do as a business I mean, we could we could go into that, but yeah. we should probably point out on the podcast. Jeremy is not working; he doesn't lead a charity. No, I don't. <laughs> Jeremy, you no, bloody well should. <laughs> yeah, but create one, and we're on board. Story, it's just like <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Jeremy, you now you founded Udder. Yes. Tell us about that before we move into your part two to go into the the work that you do. Yeah. Um, so throughout my career, I've, I, I guess I've it's always been in and around CA, HR, you know, HR initially, then then really focusing on CA. Um, back in 2014, I took a redundancy from AXA, which was my last last employed post, as it were, um, and went, um, I may call it gun for hire, you know, going into projects like, like we talked about DVSA earlier, for example, where I was hourly paid, daily rate, whatever it might be, um, for a project. And, but I was me, it was just me. Um, and it was, I guess it got to a point where I was thinking, this isn't fulfilling me anymore. Come in, Alan, at Unleash in what I think from memory was 2018. Alan was doing some video recording of, of, of so interviewing people at Unleash at um, Excel, bumped into each other, talk, started talking. He said, can I do an interview with you? So I did this interview with him, which was really around the role of tech in HR and, you know, and, and these sorts of things. And afterwards he said, um, do you know what? He said, it's, um, it's really interesting. We share such similar views on how tech should be used. Um, maybe we should look at projects together in the future. He said, cause I'm, he was working by himself sort of doing exactly the same sorts of projects, which were loosely around TA mainly. Um, but we then, yeah, we carried on the conversation and um, I think in, it was more again. It was the opportunity in two thousand and nineteen December. He picked up a a contract that needed more than one person on it. So he messaged me and said, "Look, do you want to work on this with me?" And I said, "Yeah." And I think we went three days into it. And I looked at him. I went, "Why don't we just set up a business and do this?" And that's literally where it started. I think four days later, twelfth of twelfth of December two thousand and nineteen, um, the other group was born. He'd he'd had other as a business name before and we just said I just said to him look this is this makes sense to keep this because people are starting to talk about other so let's keep the name and it's a talking point sort of thing and it has been a talking point in in some of our clients and um yeah I think we went from there we kind of said okay let's let's do things with HR technology and it literally was that broad and we've we've kind of we, we kind of had all these plans around around things that we thought the market would like but then we realised that there were things that the market did want, and they weren't always aligned. So we've we've honed the the service offering over the years as we've as we've gone along, and I think we're in a we're in a good place now. Um, you know, we do 
Uh, we, we've grown the team. Our team will become 11 as of 4th of January. So um, we're pri- that the, the growth is primarily in the implementation work that we do. So implementation, integration, um, HR ops, SaaS, th- these sorts of things. So post, I guess, post-purchase of technology, but we also do a lot pre-purchase, so helping companies with RFPs and, and understanding what it is they're looking to, the problem they're looking to solve ultimately. So that's the sorts of things we do. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's been an interesting four years. You know, when you set up a business in 2019 and you're starting to hear stories coming in from Italy about people dying because of a bad cold. Um, and of course, in March 2020, we knew exactly what that bad cold was. So we went into the lockdown. Um, we'd been running four months um we we cried for a week and then went do you know what we've just got to keep the lights on and at that level of business it is literally mine and alan's lights in the house and everything so we we sort of decided we, we put the plans on hold for global domination by the end of 2020 and you know we didn't have a lot of choice really but what, what was um what was interesting was during that time there was a lot of companies taking advantage of the furlough keeping skeleton staff whereby they were going okay we won't furlough you but what we'll do is we'll get you to work on a project whereby when people come back from furlough or we get through the pandemic we and we had no idea how long that was going to be all of our systems and processes are ready to start recruiting again and that's that's really how we kept going in in business we had two or three projects throughout that year that Sort of a say, we we made enough to pay for me and Alan, um, and we had a, um, a marketing person at the time uh, um, who, who joined us to to do some of the chat talent stuff we were doing, which we which is not something we necessarily do now. Um, but yeah, we got to the end of twenty twenty, and we we'd had to bring on a, a contractor um, to fulfil one of the projects we were working on, and I, th- I think then we started looking at other avenues and. Yeah, I think we we saw a an opportunity in in the implementation space, and that's where we really honed it in that in twenty twenty one, probably for most of twenty twenty two as well. And from that, we we recruited Peter Hedrington, who's our head of implementation, um, who had done who was who would outsourced the implementation to for one of our first project, our first two projects actually, and he'd done the actual delivery. Um, and yeah, it just really grew from there. And I think now we're at a point where we. We know what we want to do, we know the work we want to do, and we know the clients we want to work with. And that's that's, that's a really good place to be going into 2024 and having just gone into the US as well. So, And all of that just started from an idea you had one day. wasn't even an idea. <laughs> it literally the, was. It's the opportunity. It's so fascinating yeah. when you speak with like... <laughs> founders like yourself and then it's just like yeah just had an idea one mm. day like yeah. from, over, overnight from, from just set up. when we spoke to from Mavita, it's like yeah. yeah we just bashed out an app over a weekend like, how, yeah. how do yeah. you yeah. how do you just i don't know but you just had an uh, idea you, you, i think you sometimes it's, it's, again it comes back to opportunity you know you see an opportunity and you think this is and it might have been that we we'd gone into that opportunity done that first project together thought we hate each other and actually, there's not a business here and gone our separate ways. But mm. we didn't. So, you, you know, it, it is about that opportunity, understanding what it is you want to do and what, 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 who you want to work with. As I say, you know, 
we, we got on well, so that's good. You know, that, that works. That's a key thing with your, your co-founder. You have to, you kind of have to like them. <laughs> I guess so. Well, maybe, maybe we should carry that conversation on into a part two. What do you think, Ames? That sounds like a fabulous idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy. No worries. Thank you.